सप्तजीवनम कविफिरीतम कलमशापहम श्रवणमंगल श्रीमदात भुवि गृणंती So the master with the Brahmo devotees. So Sri Ramakrishna, after and describing the this concept of the divine incarnation, that the last class we were studying. Just let us start with the section where we ended. That generally the body does not remain alive after the attainment of samadhi. The only exceptions are such sages as Narada who keep their bodies alive in order to bring spiritual light to others. It is also true of divine incarnations like Chaitanya. After the well is dug, one generally throws away the spade and the basket, but some keep them in order to help their neighbors. The great souls who retain their bodies after samadhi feel compassion for the suffering of others. They are not so selfish as to be satisfied with their own illumination. So, some desire is required to come down to this physical plane of existence. Now, a spiritually illumined soul has no desire or an incarnation is beyond all desires. So how their manifestation in the physical body is possible? So as even in the Bhagavad Gita class we were indicating that in our scriptures they say that you can never have the gold ornaments with pure gold. You have to add some alloy. There some alloy should be there. Some dross should be there. With 100% pure gold you can never make the ornaments because the gold becomes very soft it won't have any particular shape so a little amount of impurity is required the alloy is required so here also to come down to the physical plane the desirelessness can never enable one to come down to this physical plane it is our desires just the way the gravity acts on us, us and pulls us down the moment we have some wet we have some mass, the gravity is bound to act upon that mass. That's what constitutes the weight. It pulls us down. Similarly, what pulls us down to this physical plane of existence? It is our desires. So avatars, they have that unbound compassion, unconditional love. So feeling for the compassion for the human being. With that desire alone, they come back to this physical plane of existence. They have no desires as such for their own to be fulfilled. They are apta kama. All the desires have been fulfilled. Kama means desire, apta. Apta means one whose all desires have been fulfilled. There is nothing to be attained. 
everything has been attained just for the sake of the welfare of the beings of the humanity they come down so these are the best category among the human beings after speaking of the best category sri ramakrishna in contrast will speak of the worst category of the human being just to contrast that the highest category is ready to do good to others without any self selfish motive and the worst category of people are always intending to harm others even if so selfish motive is not there any motive is not there they call the sadist just to harm others is something which they relish so that's what sri ramakrishna will be indicating from where our discussion starts today you are well aware of the nature of selfish people if you ask them to spit at a particular place they won't lest it should do you good if you ask them to bring a sweet meat worth a cent from the store they will perhaps lick it on the way back so that's what sri ramakrishna by joke he is saying that's all laugh in one of the lectures of swami vivekananda he has classified the entire human kind into four categories he is saying there are four types of human being that doing good to others without any expectation just as we have seen the one like the souls like narada the divine incarnations they have no expectation they just being compassionate about the suffering of the human beings they come down to show us the way without any personal selfish motive just out of love so that is the best category the incarnations so doing good to others without any expectation the next category is doing good to others with expectation all the worldly loves most of the worldly love you will find some expectation is there if not uh, some uh, thing in return some uh, what you say that wealth or something in return at least where even with the mother expects that the son for whom she is thinking throughout the day at least he will just speak nicely that expectation is also there that sometimes we find that the teenage boy or the that when he is growing he becomes very rude in his behavior for everything they will be quarreling and the mother feels extremely hurt that i am throughout the day thinking of the child and this that's how he behaves that why that little suffering comes because expectation is there in some form or other in most of the hum this our uh, worldly love do have some expectation so that comes the next that i do good to others i don't harm others but i have some expectation some form of expectation is there all our suffering entails from that expectation you will find it in our all love whatever suffering comes is because of that expectation and so there's a second category that doing good to others with with some expectation the third category is harming others for selfish ends the thieves the decoits all most of the criminal acts we will find that out of rage the rage is always when your desire gets obscured obstructed that results in anger that results in age rage that speaks of i had some selfish desires so that has been obstructed and that creates the rage and then i harm others so or i want something for that i don't hesitate even to steal something from others so that is harming others for selfish ends all sorts of these criminal acts 
like thieves, criminals, whatever it may be. These are the third category. And that's not the last. So I'm just saying the fourth category, just opposite poles look alike. The first category is doing good to others without any expectation. And the last category is also they harm others without any expectation, without any selfish motive. Just they are called the saddest. In the, uh, this, the saddest we find in this world. There are so many. Just without any reason, they are harming. This computer virus is one of the best examples. <clears throat> no one is benefited by it. But just to disrupt the entire network, there are so many people engaged in just uh, inflicting the, so this, the entire our online networks with the so-called virus. So what it all speaks of? The sadistic attitude. So these are the four categories. So, uh, this Swami Vivekananda is speaking of. Sri Ramakrishna is also speaking on the same lines that as the best, the best category, the pole apart, the best category is they have no expectation. The worst category is also they have no expectation. They just simply one does good without any expectation, one harms other without any expectation. Swami Vivekananda in his lectures have mentioned that opposite poles always look alike. I cannot see the ultraviolet light, I cannot see the infrared light. Infrared light is of very, very low frequency, I cannot see that. Ultraviolet is very high frequency, that also I cannot see. Both are dark to me. I cannot hear supersonic sound, I cannot hear the ultrasonic sound. The sound less than 20 hertz, I cannot hear. Low sound more than 20,000 hertz, I cannot hear. So opposite poles look alike but they are opposite poles. One is the highest category and another is the lowest rung of that ladder. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. Some, but the manifestations of divine power, Sri Ramakrishna is continuing with his words, but the manifestations of divine power are different in different beings. Ordinary souls are afraid to teach others. A piece of worthless timber may itself somehow float across the water but it sinks even under the weight of a bird. Sages like Narada are like a heavy log of wood, which not only floats on the water, but also can carry men, cows, and even elephants. So what's that? When we start our spiritual journey as an aspiring soul, these are the ordinary souls which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of. Their mind is yet to be purified. Their mind is full of dross, all the distractions, the sarvartha that is full. Somehow, most probably, they have attained a state of samadhi, which is called samadhi matram. What is that? By assiduous practice, that I try to keep my mind in ekagra vritti, in one thought, in the ishta vritti, in the thought of God. Somehow I may attain for the first time, one day I may realize that my mind is calm, but it doesn't stay long. Again, the, the thoughts, the distracting thoughts comes back. What it speaks of, that my mind is yet to be purified totally. The subliminal impressions are still there. They pop up and break that state of sarvarthata, that one-pointedness. So though I may have attained that one-pointed samadhi, they called it savija, savija savikalpa samadhi. The savikalpa samadhi, your mind is concentrated 
highly concentrated but it is servija it is with seed the seed of those old uh, samskaras can sprout again any time so naturally those are the souls who are always afraid that if i intermingle with the society that will distract me my the all the subliminal impressions which are still there in my mind they will be nourished by all these distractive thoughts sarvarthata and so they always try to be aloof they can never think of doing welfare for others their condition is like that a very nice joke how some yatishwaran used to say that a father a father church father uh, was just passing by the road which was by which was by the side of the river and there was a bridge nearby across the river and suddenly the father noticed that on the top of the bridge on the middle of the bridge one person is just standing on the edge of the bridge about to jump so he understood that he has most probably he is most probably contemplating of suicide committing suicide so if the father shouted don't do that heinous act it's a great sin to commit suicide he told the man shouted back that i am frustrated with life i have no wish to continue with my life i just want to end up my life the father told okay that's good whatever resolution you have taken it's okay but why not just wait for some time let me why not give me some time i want to come and just have some conversation with you after that you do whatever you want so the person complied he told okay okay i am ready let me just uh narrate the reason for which i am in this state that i at last i'm thinking of committing suicide so the father went up the bridge and then this person started relating all the horrendous experience of his life and when he stopped it was the father who jumped it is not the person it is the father that's what the joke swami yatishan is he after hearing all those in this all the incidences he jumped to the into the river and committed suicide what's the idea that as we are not prepared our mind still gets extremely agitated by the happenings of life though i have attained to certain degree a concentration but still the mind is not yet fully pure so they such person they of course are afraid but there is this in the spirituality there is much more high evolved state that when you have attained that samadhi matram and still you go on practicing your spiritual practices your mind goes on becoming more and more purified a state comes when all the dross has been cleansed the only thought the disturbance is there in your mind and as we told the mind cannot stay in one thought if can you can really keep the mind can keep the mind in one thought it goes to the state of thoughtlessness but when it goes to the state of thoughtlessness that is the nirvikalpa samadhi it leads to but at the beginning it is savija nirvikalpa samadhi savija asampragyata samadhi savija means what now just as previously when he have attained the state of one pointedness the mind was still having the dross of distraction 
now he has attained the state of thoughtlessness he has gone beyond thought but in the subliminal in, in the subconscious mind still the impressions of that ekavritti ishtavritti is there that's the thing which he has already through practice has concentrated his mind he is saturated with that ishtavritti so what happens that this ishtavritti pops up and breaks the state of thoughtlessness so this is the state from where there is no question of falling back into the old ways of living because your mind has already been purified there is no more subliminal impressions that's this that we find that many say that a man a man of realization is beyond this uh, the code of conduct beyond dharma and so and many interpreted by saying that yes he has gone beyond the sense of do's and don'ts so even if he does something wrong it doesn't in any way matter but it's a total wrong interpretation to go to that state of spiritual illumination first you have cleansed your mind of all impurities with all the purity and then you go to the state of thoughtlessness so even when you come back as it is savija as the mind is now full with that ekavritti with that ishtavritti when it comes back it now dwells in that ishtavritti because it has already been cleansed from all the distractions so there is only the ishtavritti is there so it it is ishtavritti in which it comes back for us we are trying our best to take our mind to the ishtavritti and for them they fall back into that ishtavritti it is this state from where one can think of interacting with the world and helping others because his mind has not totally been purified nothing can disturb him and that's what sri ramakrishna is indicating that the the manifestations of the divine power are different in different beings it depends on the stage of your spiritual evolution ordinary souls who have just attained a little of spirituality are afraid to teach others a piece of worthless timber may itself somehow float across the water but it sinks even under the weight of a bird sages like narada are like a heavy log of wood which not only floats on the water but also can carry men cows and even elephants so that's the mahayana in buddhism you know that one branch is called mahayana the meaning of mahayana is that the ship which can carry all is a ship which can carry this the entire means uh, the there the context is bit different means in mahayana you will find this the rituals uh, worshiping buddha all these are allowed buddha can be worshiped there are a lot of rituals there are a lot of chantings but the vajrayana and other this this uh, the other stream there's three stream these streams they just always prescribe meditation and meditation alone so that very few people can resort to that type of high spiritual practice so that's why that is not meant for all but when you say okay these rituals are allowed worshiping with incense sticks flower is allowed all these things are allowed then all people can resort to spirituality in some way or other and that's why it is called mahayana so here also this the sages like narada they are like the mahayana the big ship they can carry along with them 
there's so many uh, this souls who are aspiring for liberation so they are like that the big ship that's what's being indicated by sri ramakrishna so to shivnath and the other brahmo devotees sri ramakrishna is continuing can you tell me why you dwell so much on the powers and glories of god i ask the same thing of keshav sen one day keshav and his party came to the temple garden at dakshineshwar i told them i wanted to hear how they lectured a meeting was arranged in the paved courtyard above the bathing ghat on the ganges where keshav gave a talk he spoke very well i went into a trance after the lecture i said to keshav why do you so often say such things as o oh god what beautiful flowers thou hast made o oh god thou hast created the heavens the stars and the ocean and so on those who love splendor themselves are fond of dwelling on god's splendor so this is the a very wonderful idea the more we grow in devotion the more we start loving the divine for god for god's sake just as an example when the king is sitting in uh, his throne with all the splendor with all the courtesians the ministers so it's full of that pomp and glory which is visible and everyone who is there the denizens the citizens who come there they relate to the king with all those pomp and glory but the same king when he is in the inner apartment of his palace with his son with his wife he is no more the king with all the splendor he is just the father he is just the loving husband the child the prince relates to his the king the father the king just by love he is in no way bothered about all those bounty the which all those pomp and glory which his father has he knows he is aware of that but in no way relates to his father by all those pomp and glory he loves his father and he wants his father bereft of that the queen also relates to his husband just as a loving husband so the more we grow in devotion the splendor is bound to fall off the the more we are aware of the splendor that speaks we are yet to grow in love who loves splendor who loves god's splendor the one who really values the worldly splendors when you value the worldly splendors then you will love god's splendor the riches the everything so that speaks that it's not a real spirituality i love god for his splendor not god for god alone there's a nice uh, episode in ramayana someone told hanuman the great devotee of uh, lord rama that see why you why you worship rama krishna is the purna avatar that he he has incarnated in his whole full glory with 16 they they say the kala 16 parts uh, if it defines the entire divine glory the 16 aspects if it defines the entire divine glory with all the 16 aspects he has incarnated and rama they say 
has was not a, he was a partial incarnation of the divine he came only with the 12 aspects of the divine glory so krishna is a is a greater manifestation of the divine why so why you worship rama why you don't worship krishna and hanumana was in tears and his reply was but i love rama not his glory you must probably love Krishna's glory. That's why you say that yeah, uh, uh, let us worship Krishna, not Rama. And But I don't love Rama's glory. I love Rama. So if you love Krishna's glory, yes, okay, he has more glory, you go for Krishna. But I love Rama and Rama alone. That was his answer. So this is the idea, that I love God not for his glory. Just for the, I love God, just the divine. So the more we give importance to the splendor as Swamiji used to say that when you are much when you are aware of the splendor of the divine know it for certain you like you like not you you don't like God you like his splendor and that's why he used to say wherever you see that God is the means world is the end know it for certain it is sheer materialism so as long as we value the splendor know it for certain that we don't love God God is just the means we want that splendor that's why we are so much aware of that God splendor because that's the thing I like so when, when the more we develop in spirituality the more we develop devotion that we won't be aware of the splendor we'll be loving God for God alone so the idea of the heaven is all the pleasures of present life minus its suffering it is just the projection of the world you want the world. So that's the idea which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking. That the Brahmos were always describing the splendor of the divine. That's not bad. It's good. Because after all, the world is the divine projection. Projection of the divine. So to see the God in his projection, that's good. But the real thing is the love of the divine. Love God. Once you have you can have developed devotion for God. You have realized Him. From that realization, when you come back, then the splendor no more remains the splendor. They become just the manifestation of the divine. As, as, uh, these, these are very subtle ideas. When Swami Vivekananda was delivering a lecture on this Advaita Vedanta, that everything is consciousness. After the lecture, one lady stood up and Ask Swami Vivekananda. So, the, isn't it that the gist of your lecture is that God is everything? That's what you want to say? God is everything? And Swami Vivekananda's reply was wonderful. He told, no madam, that's not what I was intending to say. That God is everything. What I intended to say, say is, God is. Everything is not when the lady told the gist of your lecture is God is everything, Swamiji's reply was, no, no, that's not the thing I have interpreted. I have meant to say. I was just saying that God is, everything is not. When you see the divine, the other things falls, is bound to fall off. When you see the other things, you cannot see the divine. When you are seeing the snake in the rope, do you see the snake and the rope together? Never. As long as I see the rope, as long as I see the snake, 
the rope is not visible. The moment someone brings the torch and focuses it on the rope and then I see the rope clearly, the snake has vanished. So if I am seeing God's splendor, know it for certain that I am in no way have came very near to the realization of God. Because these two cannot stay together. When you see God, his splendor is bound to fall off. When I see the splendor, I cannot see God. So these are the ideas which Sri Ramakrishna is intending to say through these words. So once a thief, now Sri Ramakrishna is giving an example that how we love God's splendor. And accordingly, we uh, interact with the divine. We have our prayers, our interactions with the divine based on our love for the splendor of God, all the wealth which we see in this world. We attribute them to be the positions, to be the positions of the divine and love divine because of those splendors. So what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, once a thief stole the jewels from the images in the temple of Radha Kanta. In Dakshineshwar, there are so many temples. Apart from the temple of the mother, the mother of the universe, that, that's the main temple. But there are so many temples. That, there are Shivas, there are 12 temples of the Shivas. And there is one Radha Kanta temple, the temple of Krishna, uh, that is also there. So in that temple, in the temple of Krishna, the Radha Kanta, so what happened? Once a thief stole the jewels from the images in the temple of Radha Kanta. And the Mathur Babu, Rani Rashmani's son-in-law, the one who, Rani Rashmani, who was the proprietor of that temple, she, has, she actually have constructed that temple, that she has built the temple. His son in, her son-in-law, he was like the overall manager of the temple. So he entered, Mathurbabu entered the temple and said to the deity, what he said? What a shame, O God, you couldn't save your own ornaments. And Ramakrishna is saying the idea, just see, I said to Mathur, Mathur, does he who has Lakshmi for his handmaid and attendant ever lack any splendor? Those jewels may be precious to you, but to God, they are no better than lumps of clay. Shame on you. You shouldn't have spoken so meanly. What riches can you give to God to magnify his glory? Just that's a wonderful idea. It is he who is taking care of his creation. It is he. It is his splendor. This reminds me of a story, an episode of Swami Vivekananda's life. An episode. It's almost in the last phase of Swami Vivekananda's life. He went to the Kshira Bhavani temple in Kashmir that was again and again attacked by the, the infidels. And it was destroyed. It was used to be a good temple and it was destroyed. The deity was there but in a, some uh, just some humble uh, shelter it was there. Still it's like that. And seeing that, knowing the history of it, Swami Vivekananda was full of the devotion. And in uh, his, out of devotion he started saying to the Divine, if I were there, I wouldn't have allowed 
to the, this, your temple to be destroyed. I would have, even with the last drop of my blood, I would have protected you. And then he heard a voice, do I protect you or you protect me? And we find that that total sense of resignation, that all his mission, work, everything has, has fallen off after that, after that vision, after hearing that. So what's the idea? That's a wonderful idea. Do I protect you or you protect me? So in most of the places, even in now in the name of religion, all the violence which is happening, it shows that as if God is helpless, it is we who have to take the role of the divine to mend the world, that what the world, the way it is going, as if God has delegated, he is all powerful. He, if he wants, he can just uh, design the world in the way he wants. If I see that there is so much uh, imperfections, there's not imperfections, that's the way I see, is there. Who am I to think that I am the one who is the instrument of the divine to get rid of all those things? He is the all-powerful one. This all our this all these endeavors, all our endeavors to as if uh, protect the divine, to give him, to empower him, is all mere foolishness. It shows our lack of proper uh, attitude towards the divine, proper devotion towards the divine. So that's what that Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That what you can give to divine, shame on you. You shouldn't have spoken so meanly. What riches can you give to the God to magnify his glory? Therefore I say, a man who seeks the person in whom he finds joy, what need has he to ask where the person lives, the number of his houses, gardens, relatives and servants, or the amount of his wealth? I forget everything when I see Narendra. Never even unwittingly have I asked him where he lived, what his father's profession was, or the number of his brothers. So again the same idea, that when you love the person for the person's sake, that even all our discord and dissension in our family life, in all our relationship, is because we never love the person. We love either the wealth or the behavior means how the person should behave to me. That I have an opinion and I love that feeling, that opinion. Just Swami Vivekananda has indicated that what real love is, that he told that if anyone really loves me is the direct disciples of the Ramakrishna, the other direct disciples. Even if they know, that what he's saying is very interesting. Even if they know that I have become immoral, that I am leading a heinous life, I know it for certain, their love won't dwindle even a little. So that's the thing, can we love that way? So that's the idea of real love, to love the person for the sake of person, not for what he poses, not for his wealth, not even for his behavior, not for his character. If that's the way we can love, half of our conflicts will be resolved in this world. We never love that way. I forget everything when I see Narendra. Never even unwittingly have I asked him where he lived, what his father's profession was, or the number of his brothers. This unconditional love is so important. You know, when Holy, in Holy Mother, she used to say that everyone is my son, 
that Sharat is my son. Similarly, the Amzad, who was a dacoit, a Muslim dacoit, he is also my son. He not or she not only just uh, told it verbally. Through her own life, we will find there are so many incidents that now and there is because of stealing or other such petty crimes, Amzad used to be arrested. So when he used to be arrested naturally for a long time, he couldn't visit the mother because he was in jail. So in one such occasion, after a long gap, he came to meet Holy Mother. And Holy Mother asked, why, why haven't you seen him for such a long time? And his, he simply replied that I was in jail. And the mother's immediate reply was that listening that someone was in jail immediately, what reactions we will have? Hatred, fear. Oh, he's a criminal. Mother, as if nothing has happened, mother's reply was, oh, that's why I was thinking, why you didn't come so many days? Come, come, have, have some food. So, and those, those who were listening, they were just surprised that can this be a reaction? That when she told I was in jail, he never asked, why were you in jail? What was the reason? Nothing. And this, his, her reaction was, oh, that's how I, I was thinking, that for such a long time, why you didn't come? Uh, so come, come. So he asks nothing. She asks nothing about that what she, he has done. Or, and you know what's the result? This amzad, those who have sinned, were great transformation. This unconditional love, just this unconditional love, transformed him. There was no such uh, bindings kept on him. There was nothing, no, uh, mother never had some any expectations from him that he should become good, he should, he is my son. That's the only thing, his mother and son, nothing else. And that un unconditional love was showered on him. And that brought a wonderful transformation. See the life of Girish, just unconditional love. When Girish used to visit Ramakrishna, he was totally drunk. He was totally drunk. He will come and sit in front of Ramakrishna. And then Ramakrishna will ask his nephew, will go in his horse carriage. He has kept the bottle, the half-drank bottle is still there. When, he, when his, his intoxication will go off a little, he will be, need, will be needle of that wine again. He will be need of that wine. So please go and bring and keep that bottle just near him. And this Girish was surprised. That even his own wife, his own family is to hate him because of his way of life. And this he came to this a spiritual person who is supposed to having who is supposed to have a lot of do's and don'ts. He is saying that bring the bottle and keep near him because he may need it after some time. And this love, he never he felt that even my mother could never give me this love, this unconditional love. And we all know what a great transformation came from that. So just to love for the love's sake is a thing which is not just a mere poetry. It has the great power uh, to transform our life. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying, that we should relate to the divine with that, even to the world. If the God is nothing but the manifestation of the divine, if I can see the divine in each and every being, in each and every person, then how can I see the evil there? I have to take the person as it is and show that unconditional love. Know it for certain, it is bound to have its effect today or tomorrow. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. Dive deep in the sweetness of God's bliss. What need have we of his infinite creation 
and unlimited glory. The king, so that's what we were saying, that when he enters the palace to meet the small prince, that's not what we were saying. The prince looks not at his splendor, but seeks just his pure love. That similarly a devotee wants to enjoy the bliss of the divine love and has nothing to do with his splendor. The king's splendor is for the world, but he relates through his love with his near and dear ones. It is not with his splendor he relates to his near and dear ones. It is with his love. It doesn't mean that the devotee is not aware of God's splendor. He's aware. They're aware of it. But they don't give any importance to it. Just like the king's son. He knows that his father is the king. But he just knows that knowledge in no way affects the way he relates to his father. He relates with his love. So this is the idea which we find even uh, mentioned in Narada Bhakti Sutra. That the gopis uh, loved Krishna. They were not aware of the Krishna's... Uh, it apparently seems that they were not aware of Krishna's divinity. They just thought them to be their own. But in Narada Bhakti Sutra there is a wonderful sutra. They say that in the background of their mind that Mahatmya was always there. The idea that he is divine. That was there. Though they never gave importance to it, but that was there. Because without that, in the Narada Bhakti Sutra it's mentioned, Tat Vihinang Jaranam Iva. That love will become something like an illicit love. The idea of the greatness should be there. It reminds me of one of the incidents in the life of uh, Josephine MacLeod, one of the disciples of Swami Vivekananda. He was Sakha, the friend of Swami Vivekananda. That's what she used to say. She used to relate to Swami Vivekananda as friend. Now after the passing away of Swami Vivekananda, Josephine MacLeod came to India and met Holy Mother. And when they were conversing, uh, Josephine MacLeod related that, you know, that I cannot meditate. Josephine MacLeod told, I cannot meditate. Well, why, why you cannot meditate? You are after all being blessed by Swamiji. How you cannot meditate? How is it that you cannot meditate? And then Josephine replied that whenever I sit for meditation, immediately the vivid memory of Swami Vivekananda comes to my mind. And Holy Mother's reply was wonderful. Well, how blessed you are. That people, that the ordinary beings, they try their best to bring that form in their uh, imagination, in their vision. They try their best and they fail. They cannot... You know, it's so difficult when you are meditating to visualize the form of your Easter. And for her, it is just a vivid. She doesn't have to try. It is coming. And then what Holy Mother told is very interesting. That never feel dejected. It's very good that you visualize the Swami Vivekananda whenever you try to meditate. Only remember that he's not an ordinary soul. He's the divine. He's one of the Saptarshi. He's in that exalted spiritual state. That you shouldn't forget. Remember that and then you can relate to Swamiji as your friend. So the idea is there, but they never give the importance. If that idea was not there, that love will become just like an illicit love. Jaranami, as has been mentioned in Narada Bhakti Sutra. So the idea is there, but they never give importance to it. Once they know he's the divine, they've just get rid of all the splendor and try to relate to him just as his own, as near and dear one. 
So that's the idea which Swami Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. So the master now sang his song. This dive deep after his discussion that one should dive deep in spiritual life. So that's the and so, so on the same corresponding idea, he's having a song, he's singing a song. What's that idea? It's actually a Bengali song which has been translated here. The Bengali song is Dub 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 Rup Shagore Amar Mon. So that's the song which has been translated. I'm just reading the translation. Dive deep, O mind, dive deep in the ocean of God's beauty. If you descend to the uttermost depths, there you will find the gem of love. Go seek, O mind, go seek Vrindavan in your heart, where with his loving devotees, Sri Krishna sports eternally. So it is not just the Vrindavan which is in a, having a geographical location. That also is a great thing. That's also a place full of this spiritual vibration. But they say Chinmaya Shyama, Chinmaya Dhamma. Chinmaya means which is full of consciousness. It's not something of this world which is in your heart. So that's the importance of going to the holy place. When you go to these holy places, these tirthas, what happens, your memory, when you come back, your memory gets filtered. When you were in the tirtha, you of course had that you went to these all these places associated with the divine sport. But along with that, of course, this your worldly way of, not worldly way of living, your day-to-day -day interactions and other things were also there. That you have to take your food, you have to take care of your uh, own body, all those things were there. But when you come back from the Tirtha, your memory gets filtered. That how I was having my food there, how long I was sleeping, all those never comes to your mind. What will come to your mind? That what, wherever, whenever I went to the temple, the divine inebriation with which I was totally absorbed, all those things only will come to your mind. That all the ordinary household things which I was doing for my day-to-day -day living, that never comes to my mind. So all this purified memory, that stays with me as my treasure. That's the importance of going to the Tirtha. So that's the idea of the Chinmaya Shyama, Chinmaya Dhamma. It is there with you. You live there eternally in association with the Divine. So go deep into the, this what you say, in your meditation, dive deep. In the, uttermost, in the uttermost depth, the splendors and all are just the fringes of the divine existence. The splendor is a fringe. The more deep you go, it is all those bereft of all the splendor. You enjoy the association of the divine with pure love. So, sick, there is this, you know, there are so many nice, I will just relate a nice story. That one, uh, Brahmin, a poor Brahmin, he, he was to give his daughter in marriage for this. Now for the wedding ceremony, he, needed, he needs some money. He have to feed the guests and the, uh, after all the ceremony itself do entail some expenditure. But he had no money. So how will he give his daughter in marriage? So then he was going around in Kashi and suddenly he had the 
vision of Shiva. Shiva told him, you go to Vrindavan and there you will find this uh, one of the Goswamis. See, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had these six Goswamis, one of the Goswamis, this Sanatana Goswami. He is living there in a hermitage, like a hermit is living there by the side of this uh, the Yamuna river. And he has a philosopher's stone. He has a, uh, sorry, he has a treasure, not the philosopher's stone. He has some treasure. And if you ask him, he will give you the treasure. Once he gives you the treasure, whatever you want, you get. So then you need not worry about your daughter's uh, this wedding. So this son went in search of this Sanatan Goswami. At last he found him. And he told, he related this Shiva's uh, this vision and what he told him. And he told that, uh, that you have some treasure. That's what Shiva told. Now Sanatan Goswami couldn't uh, um, uh, recollect that what treasure he has. Because he was living in a this this uh, in a hermitage. He was living. It was all very humble setting. He used to go and beg for his food. Only once a day he used to have his food, and that also he used to beg for it. He told, "Just see what wealth I can have." But the man told Shiva, "Couldn't cannot lie. You must be having some wealth." And then this Sanatan Goswami. He then recollected that yes. He, got, he do have, someone gave him some philosopher's stone. But he thought it's of no use for him. That philosopher's stone, whatever he touch, it will be converted to gold. He thought, what will I do with it? So he just threw it in some, in the, some garbage. In the, in some, there was some garbage near the, on the bank of the Yamuna. So there was some heap of garbage. He told, I threw it there. You go there, most probably you may find there. So this man went and he searched and he found that philosopher's stone. So with that he came back. He came back and was elated. Well, at last I got. And then Sanatana Goswami told, yes, now you can leave. You can take this and just see, I have just thrown it in the garbage bin. So I don't need it. You can take it. So the now man, the man was reading, re returning back. Now on his way, the thought came. That Shiva told he will give you the most precious belonging which he has. And this was the something he was on the trash bin. So this, of course, he must be having something more precious. Otherwise, how can he just throw this on the trash bin? Obviously, it shows he must be having something more precious than this. So he became greedy. When this thought came, he became greedy. So he returned back. And again, he related that in the vision Shiva told me, that you will give me your most precious thing. And this cannot be the most precious thing. You simply threw it in the trash. You give me the most precious thing which you have. That's what Shiva told me. As per the Shiva's wish, he was supposed to give me that. And then Sanatana Goswami asked him, do you really want the most precious thing which I have? Well, yes, that's what Shiva told me in his vision. His, his words cannot be uh, just false. You should give me the most precious thing. Then Sanatana Goswami told, go and then to, if you want to get this most precious thing, then first go and throw this, this philosopher's stone in the Yamuna river. So this man ran and threw it in the waters. So he came back. 
then sanatan goswami told us sit down and he gave him the name of the krishna krishna mantra so that is the most precious thing it's a wonderful story these stories are wonderful so that's the jaim of love the more you go to the uttermost depths uttermost depths there you find the jaim of love go sick o mind go sick vrindavan in your heart where with his loving devotees sri krishna sports eternally so light up o mind light up true wisdom's shining lamp and let it burn with steady flame unceasingly within your heart so this unceasingly within your heart this speaks of this ishtavritti anya vacha vimunchata forget everything else go to read of all these distractions this god says that i am the most jealous god god is the most jealous god why he is jealous if he finds that his love is being shared you say i love you then god will find out whether you really love him that his love is not shared so if he finds that you have little love for anything else he is extremely jealous he will never respond to your love you know jealousy that means jealousy when you find the one whom you love love someone else you become jealous god also is a jealous god if he finds that we have any distraction we have a little love for anything else he will never respond to our love he is jealous he wants their total mind should be dedicated to him and him alone so that's the idea which is being indicated here this let forget everything else this fully contemplate on the divine and divine alone that's what the song is saying that light up o mind light up true wisdom's shining lamp and let it burn with steady flame unceasingly within your heart who is it that steers your boat across the solid earth meditate on guru's holy feet says kabir so once your mind has become focused it has become one point that you think of the divine alone then what's the need of all other secondary vaidhi bhakti preparatory practices that all those rituals that burning incense offering something all those elaborate rituals what's the need of it they were needed till i got the devotion so that's the idea which is being indicated in this line who is it that steers your boat across the solid earth that the boat is needed to help you to cross the river once you have reached the other shore do anyone steer the boat on the solid earth no its work has been done so all those preparatory bhakti all those preparatory devotional practices they were needed to get this ishtavritti that one pointed contemplation of the divine once you get that all the secondary details are bound to follow no they say no one will be steering the boat on the solid earth you have already crossed you have now reached the other shore of para bhakti of supreme devotion so after crossing so then what meditate on guru's holy feet says kabir it is a song written by the kabir so that's the thing which once you have attained then there is no need for all those secondary rituals just hold on to the divine hold on to your guru's feet that's what is the kabir's ultimate conclusion so that's what uh, sri ramakrishna sang 
And then uh, Sri Ramakrishna continued, it is also true that after the vision of God, the devotee desires to witness his Leela. After the destruction of Ravana at Rama's hands, Nikasha, Ravana's mother, began to run away for the fear of her life. Lakshmana said to Rama, Revered brother, please explain this strange thing to me. This Nikasha, who is an old woman, who has suffered a great deal from the loss of her many sons, and yet she is so afraid of losing her own life that she is taking to her hills. Rama bade her come near, gave her assurance of safety, and asked her why she was running away. Nikasha answered, O Rama, I am unable to witness, I am able to witness all this Leela of yours, all this divine sport of yours, because I am still alive. I want to live longer so that I may see the many more things you will do on this earth. All love. So, the devotee does not want to become sugar. He wants to test the sugar. That's the idea. So that he can, if he becomes, if he merge in that nirvikalpa samadhi, then he becomes as if one with the divine. Then who will enjoy the bliss of the divine? So the devotee never wants to be one with the divine. They always want to maintain this individuality so that they can enjoy the bliss of the divine. So that's the idea which Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of through the help of this episode. That Nikasha, Ravana's mother, after the death of all his sons, seeing Rama, he was running away as if he was, she was still attached, having tremendous attachment to his life. But that was an apparent. It was the real attachments, the reason was something different. She was a devotee. She saw the divine sport of Rama as she's alive. So she wants to be alive just to see the divine sport. There's no other desire to relate to the divine through his lila. For that, he wants to live alive. She wants to live alive. And that's the uh, uh, nice idea which comes out from that episode. So with this, we stop our discussion today. We'll continue uh, with the uh, remaining portion of uh, this uh, episode, the Sri Ramakrishna's uh, conversation with the Brahma devotees, again in the next class. So thank you all. Namaskars.